Hi everyone, I'm Regan. And I'm Jeff. And this is Man and Femme Criterion Commentaries. A cinematic journey through the Criterion Collection. Today we are doing Spines number 14, 13? 14, no. 15, and 16. 14, 15, and 16. This is the Samurai Trilogy, and we thought since it really is just one big epic, we'd just kind of combine them all together into one podcast. One big soap opera. But lots of fun. Um, Lots so we'll, of love. we'll talk about Samurai 1, 2, and 3. We'll, we'll talk we're about gonna, Sam- We're going to do all of them. <laughs> we'll talk about the first Samurai movie first. And the first. second, and then the third. Uh, it's from 1954. It was directed by Hiroshi Inagaki. And I just want to point out something fun that I just learned. That it sounds like Hiroshi Inagaki, Mr. Robati. No. Okay. Evidently, when the Allies occupied Japan, they weren't allowed to make any samurai movies or any movies that had anything to do with the feudal system that was in place back in the day. Okay. So they had to make more American-style movies, evidently. And then the Allies left in 1952. They were finally allowed to make samurai movies again. And that's why there's this huge golden age of, of samurai films in the 50s. Ah. And that's kind of how this came about as well. And they all had to be set in 1600 A.D. I hadn't seen these films probably in 20 years, like, before I met you. And I didn't remember them as fondly as I should have, I think. Because when you put them all together, it's really a pretty amazing feat. Mm-hmm. Both narratively and, like, the cinematography in the first and the third films was amazing. You've just become more of a romantic in your old age. No... <laughs> <laughs> Plus, we get to see Toshiro Mifune again. Yeah, I could watch him all day. Just... We're actually going to see a lot of him in in the saucy collection. man bun. <sighs> Anyways, <laughs> what, what what were some of your favorite things about <clears throat> about this first movie? I mean, because you hadn't seen it and you didn't really know what to expect. For me, a lot of the scenes that were done not on a set. There were a lot of beautiful nature scenes and then when they would go to sets it was extremely noticeable um i feel like the first and the third were more natural and the second movie was a lot of sets i don't i I don't agree i mean it's been a little while i just kind of remember like the first movie the cinematography and the colors and everything it was just so lush and it just blew me away Mm -hmm. and then the second one i was a little disappointed in and it just didn't have that look Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wrote for the first movie that the scenery looks straight out of a 1960s National Geographic. You know, I feel like you would open one of those three pagers in the middle of a National Geographic and it would have been like a shot from this movie. It makes you want to go to Japan. Yeah, it does. Definitely. Especially if the men look that good. They, no. <laughs> so, Just kidding. Regan has been on a quest to find samurai pants, which kind of look like MC Hammer pants. No, you know, I just want the whole outfit. Like, I want to wear my hair like that. I want it to be socially acceptable to wear those pants because they look insanely comfortable. The shirts are really cool. I like that... And you've been carrying that wooden sword, which got you in trouble a couple of times, but it came in handy when someone tried to steal your purse. Yes, but they just... The outfits, they just look really comfortable. And they're, I think, very stylish. I'm sure nobody else does. And I really enjoy the textile prints on them as well. Yeah, I can see that. Very cool. Did you have any other things you wanted to touch on before we talk about some of the narrative of the first movie? For me, some of like the love triangle stuff, I mean, 
That stuff was really hard to follow for me, mainly because I just don't... That's not a big pull for me. Well, plus so, the main character changed his name partway through. Well, no, that didn't... That I could follow. That wasn't as big of a deal. I don't know. It was just like, what girl loves what guy, and which which girl is that again? And, like, I think I didn't follow the love story closely enough in the first movie. So then in the second and third movies, I got kind of confused because I didn't realize that was going to be such a big part of the story, mainly because I thought the story was going to be a story of self-discovery. Well, it still was. Well, it still was, but I thought that that was going to be the primary focus of the movie, which I don't think that they even went in-depth enough into the main character's backstory. I could have just watched a movie entirely about him. But really, it's, it's the balance between him finding enlightenment and him finding emotional or physical fulfillment as well and how those two don't exist very well together do you know what i mean because there was this push-pull between him and uh that otsu girl that that he was on again off again with the entire movie or whenever he'd get pulled into maybe having a life with her it would screw up his the path of enlightenment he was supposed to go on so he, he knew he couldn't really have both Mm-hmm. But he wanted both. Yeah, that's why he should have just kicked her to the curb earlier on in the movie. Just got on with it. And, but that's not... <laughs> you don't like all the fighting anyway, so... I don't mind fighting. It's violence that I don't like. I think there's a difference. To me, there's a difference. It would mean a lot more if you didn't hit me after you said things like that. <laughs> that's not even funny, and you need to cut this part out. Cause no, domestic, domestic violence, violence is, is not, not funny, matter. and I wish you'd quit it. Do you want me to touch on the story of the first episode a little bit? Well, I guess before you do that, I can just see these movies as being insanely popular. They were insanely hugely popular, popular in Japan. and I mean, this first movie got an honorary Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film in 1955 as well, so it must have been fairly popular here. And the reason that I say that is because it has all of the, you know, elements... Love and romance and quest for self-discovery and a little bit of violence and... I've heard it referred to as the Japanese Gone with the Wind. Yeah. Which I've never seen. No, I haven't either. No. I don't remember much about the music. Do you? Was it? Did it stand out to you in any way? No, I feel like there was a recurring Like song. a theme? Alright, what did you want to talk about? With the, the narrative of the film? Yeah. Basically, it just kind of follows... <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Go ahead. So there's two gentlemen. They're two friends. They're I think they're supposed to be like young and kind of like teenagers or something. But Takizo is the Tashiro Mafune character, and his friend Matahachi, who's engaged to this girl Otsu. But Takizo convinces him, you know, we should run off and we should join this battle. And they end up going away to battle, and just their side just gets destroyed. They have to like crawl away from the battlefield so they don't get captured. And they end up at this widow and her daughter's house uh, to recuperate. Only the widow and her daughter make a living by stealing the possessions of dead samurai and selling them. When bandits show up to try to steal what they've stolen from the dead, Toshiro Mifune's character, like kicks the crap out of all of them with a wooden sword. And then the widow lady, like, throws herself at him and he rejects her. She doesn't take it very well and basically says that he raped her. 
and he disappears and runs away while his friend stays behind with that lady and her daughter who convince him to take them to Kyoto. And this is where all the love triangle begins. Because that daughter falls in love with Tashira Mifune's character, and her name's Akimi, and she just keeps coming back and turning up at the worst possible moments. Because his friend ends up marrying the widow, and the daughter loves Tashira Mifune's character, and then Tashira Mifune ends up in love with his friend's old girlfriend from the town they grew up in. And that's where the love triangle starts. And it just plays out over the course of all three movies. Mm-hmm. And I think the the thing that you gather from the first movie is that he's like a wild animal. And he's got talent buried in there somewhere. Like that priest sees something in him and vouches for him. I mean, he's on the run. He's being hunted. And that Buddhist priest basically jumps in and says, Look, I can if you let me deal with him the way I, I want to, I can turn him into a good person. I can control him and hone him and tone him down a bit. But then he falls in love with that Otsu girl. And they try to run away together. And she frees him after the priest has him tied up in a tree till he relents. You know, the priest goes and finds him again, hunts them down, grabs him, brings him to some city and tricks him into thinking that that Otsu girl is there. Instead, traps him in the top of a house for three years with a bunch of books and he can't get out until he's read them all. Meanwhile, she's just stuck in this place waiting for three years biding her time so that they can be together again. I mean, the movie's way more interesting than this because there's a bunch of fight scenes and he's just kind of trying to figure things out. Is that all just the first one? That's just the first one. That's just the first one. And then when he finally gets out of that castle that he's been locked up in, Otsu's waiting for him. He decides he's got to go find enlightenment and he ditches her and carves on the wooden post of a bridge, forgive me. And then just disappears off into the sunset. I mean, there's probably... That's the simple version of it. Let's stick to the simple version. He does change a lot from the point where the priest captures him to the point he's released from that castle. You can see it. Mm-hmm. His demeanor completely changes. And that's when he changes his name. He's giving. He's been given a new name. And he becomes uh, Miyamoto Musashi. And that's what we'll know him as for the rest of the films. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else from the first movie that really... Mm, I wrote, I wonder if the guys wear anything under their kimonos. The answer is slingshot underwear. High five. <laughs> High five on the slingshot underwear. You got two little pebbles in there. Um, did you like, after we watched the first movie, were you into it? or? Were after you... we watched the first movie, I was kind of into it and kind of like, oh my god, we have two more. <laughs> In all seriousness. Because it can get really soapy at times, soap opera-y, yeah. with the love thing. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, if you're trying, I mean, this is the 50s. No, I know, I, like... So I understand. Yeah, and I think this was, you know, they didn't have television. Uh... Well, I mean, to the extent that we have it today, I guess is what I mean, in terms of, like, serials. I don't know if soap operas were necessarily created in the 50s, and if they were, I don't know if they were in Japan. But... No, just really f- incredible game shows where people hurt each other. No, but, like, television as we know it wasn't... It wasn't the same. And movies were actually where a lot of people found their entertainment. And, and their news. Yeah. You know, I feel like this... 
I mean, this would have been huge. This would have been a really... This would have been the Lord of the Rings of their day, probably. Well, I haven't seen those, so I don't know. They were huge. (laughs) Okay. They were huge. Take your word for it. I, I mean, I don't know who these rings are. Why some lord wants them, but who uh, say so? It has to do with Christmas. There was lords leaping. There was rings uh, ringing or something. Uh, I feel like when we watched this one together, you're like, that wasn't too bad. Yeah. And then when we watched the second like one, you're like, oh the my god, one, I don't know if I can watch the third one. The second one I felt was terrible. It was really, like, it lost all of the scenery shots. The first half of the movie was set in interior settings. Of, like, those little geisha homes or, like, wherever. Yeah, you don't need to read off people's names. No, no, I'm just going to say that this is now Samurai 2, and it was (laughs) released in 1955. And it's called Duel at Ichi Jojo... Hold on, my Japanese isn't so good anymore. Duel at Ichi Joji Temple. Yes. Okay, thank you. There you go. So... The beginning of this started with primarily interpersonal conversations and conflicts. So a lot of it was set inside. Any shots that were done outside were obviously a set. It looked completely different. Totally different. But it was the same cinematographer for the first two. I know that for sure. Well, I'm going to say the set designer was different. Um, Either that or they were trying to be on the cheap and not shoot on location. cinematographers in the third movie, so maybe he wasn't really down with what the the guy did in the second movie. Probably. But the the first thing I wrote on here is muted colors compared to the last film. Because the first film had such vibrant colors to it. And then being inside, and I think a lot of this... Maybe in the dark even, or at night took place. It just didn't look as intriguing. I wrote, for this one, I wrote really cool look at Japanese culture, because it did get more in-depth in that. But then my notes halfway through this movie are, I'm questioning our decision to watch the whole Criterion Collection. Some of these films feel like tiny torture chambers. (laughs) Wait till we have to watch (laughs) Tiny Furniture again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the dreaded tiny furniture. One of the notes I have in here is mostly sets. Mm-hmm. The first movie seemed to be mostly locations. This yeah. doesn't look as good. No, the whole second movie was just... Like, you could pretty much watch the first movie and then watch the third movie, and you might not miss too much. No, I don't think that's true because Well, if you don't care about the love story stuff, you don't Well, you'd also this. have no idea where the the guy <laughs> in the third movie, the final nemesis that completes his enlightenment, the duel with oh, that guy on. comes from because he shows up in that second movie. Well, yeah, and he just shows up out of nowhere anyway. So, I mean, he could just show up out of nowhere in the no, third movie for you. I suppose it's out of nowhere, but he ends up killing some people and then Tashir Mufune's character goes out to see what all the commotion is and that's how they meet each other for the first time. I mean, at this point in the movie... Musashi has gotten like such a huge reputation as being like one of the greatest samurais in all of Japan. So basically he's got a target on his back by any up-and-comer that wants to, to prove themselves. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to watch the second movie. You can just listen to that 30 seconds that we just talked about it and then watch the third movie. I just I would watch through <laughs> them all. I'm kidding. I'm joking. Okay, anything else to say on the second movie? or can Yeah, we there's, to... there's quite a bit to say. 
this was the movie where there was like rape and a, the widow is trying to sell her daughter Akimi to a guy and basically listens in in the other room while she's being raped by him and just doesn't do anything about it because she's more concerned about getting money from the the match. And even though Musashi has become this great samurai, he hasn't yet found enlightenment. And he runs into a priest who basically tells him, like, you know, you're a great swordsman, but you're a really troubled person and you've got a really disturbing mind. You'll never be a true samurai if you follow down this path. This is also where he, like that last movie, he's got this sword style where he uses two swords. And that was something that evidently, the re- I mean, this is all based on a real person. This real Musashi person was ambushed at the end of that second movie. He was supposed to fight it like a legitimate duel with somebody, and they showed up with 60 dudes to try to kill him in an ambush, and he fought his way through it, got injured, and ended up having to like fight his way out with two swords. So he developed this style based on this. I mean, this is kind of what pushed him to become what he is in the third movie. Like I said, his nemesis shows up, a guy named Sejiro, basically follows him wherever he goes in, like, awe, and this guy might actually be a better swordsman than Musashi, but he's not a better person, and he's not enlightened. He's just kind of a disturbed killer. He just kills for the thrill, instead of, like, an honor or anything like that. The end of the movie is is where he and Otu end up together again, and he, like, gives in to the physical, the physicality of his desires and tries to, like, forcefully kiss her, and she pushes him away, and then he is embarrassed by what he did, and he runs off and and leaves her again. That's the, the end of the second movie? Yeah, yeah. You gotta have some notes on the second movie besides just what we talked about. I mean, because he's developing as a, as a person. He, he's halfway there he's part way through his quest he's completely changed from when we first met him in the first movie because mm. he's gotten respect for his abilities he just hasn't yet completed his spiritual journey uh, yeah i mean i wrote a quote of his of saying i have renounced the love of women i mean and i feel like a priest in this this is the movie where that same priest who told him that he's never going to be a real samurai told him that like I know that you and Otsu have something going on, but there's you can't be a samurai and marry a woman. It just it doesn't work like that. The two are conflicting. And you gotta feel really bad for her. Because she's just hanging on to this and following him around. They both want the same thing, but he just can't do it. But really, the gem out of this whole trilogy is the third movie. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. So can we talk about that one now? Yes. So we'll talk about spine number 16, Samurai 3, Duel at Granyu Island. And this one has a, a new cinematographer from the first two. Do you remember how it opened with that like gorgeous waterfall shot? No, I don't remember that specifically. There's a lot of silhouetting and flashback, and there's really interesting use of shadows and light in this one. Yeah, I wrote that Musashi carves a wooden Buddha and Kid says it looks like Atsu, and then there's like a really cool Olin Mills headshot. Yeah, where she's in his mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I did also really write cool. that there's it's very coincidental. It's kind of like a very coincidentally prone samurai soap opera where these characters just happen to all crisscross each other at just the right times. Yeah. Um, this is the one where he catches a fly with chopsticks. 
Right, and didn't it make you think of the Karate Kid? Yes, definitely. Because he does it in almost more of a badass way than yeah. Mr. Miyagi did. I agree. And that it was right when some guys were trying to fight him. Mm-hmm. And he didn't even have to like flex his muscles. All he did is catch a bunch of flies with chopsticks and freak the hell out of all the dudes who wanted to beat him up. Mm-hmm. I did like the addition of the kid. The sidekick? Yeah, in this one. I thought that was pretty fun. I think his name was Jitaro, but he was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. And I think that him carving, like him doing the art, shows that he's like kind of elevated his himself mentally at this point. Along with the fact that he didn't have to fight those guys, all he had to do was catch flies. Shows like when he was younger and more brash, he probably would have just beat them all up. Mm-hmm. But he's got control over himself enough where he doesn't need to do that anymore. Do you remember anything else you really enjoyed from the third movie? I really enjoyed him doing all the gardening work. When he took that year off, all right, I'll fight you, nemesis guy. Mm -hmm. But it'll be in a year's time, and I'm going to go be a farmer. Yeah, he'll plant his seed. Wah, wah, wah. (laughs) That part reminded me of the Seven Samurai, because he ends up in this village that's surrounded by bandits that are attacking it. And he trains the whole village to, like, fight for themselves. A little bit. That's the, I mean, because that's the part that I was <clears> like, oh, uh, we've seen something similar to this in Seven Samurai. Well, when, it, when the year is finally up, I remember there was, a, like, a really weird musical interlude. Hmm. So there was, there, I remember there was a point where it was just kind of, like, jarring. Like a weird, jarring musical interlude before mm-hmm. the bandits attacked the village. But the real, I mean, that that last scene is the best of the whole series. Yeah. I think that just seals the deal. Makes the whole series worth watching. It was beautiful. Uh-huh. With the sunset and the silhouettes of their their bodies as they're du- like getting ready to duel. Mm-hmm. That, that was like an award-winning sequence. Yeah. That was definitely one of like the most memorable cinematic sequences ever. Yeah. Of any movie that I've ever watched. You know, it's like, it's one of those top scenes. And it felt like, it felt like he was outmatched a little bit, but he still came off and won the duel. Mm-hmm. Because he was smart. He may not have been the better swordsman, but he was the smarter person. Yeah, that Or was... had the more control. I don't know. Because the whole thing is about him becoming more in tune with himself and becoming more in control and enlightened. And this, that last scene just kind of shows the, the culmination of all that. Right. Yeah, it was really good. Definitely worth watching the, the whole series for. Because I feel like when it was over, you're like, that was really good. Like, it made, that made the whole thing work. Yeah, I agree. And, and in retrospect, like, you could forgive the, the first and second movie its maybe problems because it actually pulled off what it was trying to accomplish yep i agree no i wasn't really looking forward to this but then after the fact it ended up being like a kind of nice experience like a an enjoyable cinematic experience mm-hmm. i agree it's nothing that i would be like oh my god we should watch those again no i i'm oh. i wouldn't be in a rush to see it again i'd maybe watch that last scene on a on a youtube clip yeah just because it's gorgeous but i mean this is like one of the these three films I don't think you can take them individually. I think you have to take them as a whole. I think so, too. I think it would have been impossible to do three podcasts about this. 
Because there's not enough meat in each individual film because the combined force of the three is what really gives emphasis to everything about it. Yeah. Um, so this is podcast 14, 15, and 16. Yeah, I guess it would be. So this is, you get a, a three-peat, a threefer. Mm-hmm. The next one's a real doozy. You will yes. never want to eat chocolate cake as bad as you do after watching Salo. Big vat of chocolate pudding with chocolate cake mixed in it. Well, if you have a poop fetish, tune in for the next installment, because we're going to be reviewing Salo, which neither of us had seen before. Mm-mm. And neither of us will see again. Probably not. Absolutely no reason to. But we'll talk about that next time. Um, we apologize for the big gap in between podcasts. Life got in the way. Got sick. Got sick. Had Christmas. Had Thanksgiving. No, we did one after. Got sick again. There's been a lot of sick going on. Mm-hmm. Jeff's sick in the head. Regan's sick in the pants. <laughs> Which is why I want samurai pants for extra room for sickness. Gross. <laughs> this leg's full of samurai spirit. This leg's full of doo-doo berries. This leg's full of samurai salo. Gross. Anyway, um, we can be found on Facebook. We can be found on Twitter, at Men and Femme. Jeff also made something, and then it's got, like, a playlist, and you can, like, look, and he made on reviews. Our, well, on our SoundCloud now, there's a playlist, um, because someone asked for that, and it makes sense. No, not that. The other thing. The other thing? Where you, like, review um, stuff. I also just started a, a Letterboxd account. Letterboxd? Letterboxd. It's Letterboxd D, oh. basically. Okay. And on it, I've got... All the films that we've seen so far in a list, as well as what we're watching outside of the Criterion Collection, or what I'm watching, I guess, outside of the Criterion Collection. But there's a separate chunk just for the Criterion stuff, yep. right? So you can you can keep up with where we're at on the film. Um, you can follow us. We'll follow you back so that we can see what each other if are up lucky. to. <laughs> this is a technology Regan doesn't even know anything about. But here's the, here's the deal. Uh, we enjoy doing this. Uh, we might not always get it out as quickly as we want to, but we've got a lot of movies ahead of us, and as we get out of this busy time of year, we'll be able to put more under our belts a little faster. Thank you! See you next time.